Right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on overcoming by the blood of Jesus. This is part two. Uh, we'll have at least a part three next week. I'm not sure if I'll do four parts, I guess not. But anyway, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we want to say thank you to all those who partner with us with their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website, lighthousediscipleship.org, go to the give page, and all the instructions are there. Okay, so uh, with all that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into our message this morning. We've been talking about overcoming by the blood of Jesus. And our key verse is from Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not live their lives to the death. That's where this, this concept or this title this uh, series comes from, that we can overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And I've been expounding on that, and I kind of had an introductory lesson last week on covering this, and I didn't feel like I went into enough detail, and I could actually go into a lot of detail here. I'm just trying to be led by the Spirit of how deep He wants me to go with some of this, but um, or more so the direction He wants me to go with this. But um, the context of this verse is talking about how Satan knows that his time is short. Okay, he knows that his time is short, and so he he he's, he has wrath. He has wrath out against you and me because we are children of God. We are born again. And, and he has, he has um, wrath on us, the people of God, and, and, uh, um, and the world for that matter. But he's already got them. He's trying to get us. And so at that point in time, uh, he knows that his time is short. And he doesn't want the, uh, the world to come to Jesus. He doesn't want the world to be born again. And so he will take it out on us so that he can kill and steal and destroy however many he can. Okay? And he also wants us to our born again to be in, live in fear. Even to the point where we reject Christ. Okay? I'm not going to go down that, that path line completely, but he knows his time is short. And we, this is echoed in many of the... Uh, teachings of Jesus and the Apostle Paul and the Apostles, where Paul says <coughs> in 2 Timothy 3, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Okay, and then he expounds on, on what those perilous times will look like. You know, we can count on this. We can know this. We should know this. Okay? We should have an understanding that in the last days, it's not going to necessarily be a bed of roses. There's going to be perilous times in these last days. Okay? Jesus pro pro uh, prophesied about that. Paul prophesied about that. The apostles prophesied about that. Okay? Peter said it this way, that we need to be sober and diligent because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom may devour. He's not the lion of Judah, but he's going to walk around like the lion of Judah, like a roaring lion, seeking whom may devour. Okay? And so we need to be sober. We need to be sober-minded. We don't need to be intoxicated by all the things that are going on in the world. Jesus said that because of lawlessness, we will abound. The love of many will grow cold. Jesus said lawlessness, lawlessness in the last days will abound. It's been prophesied. And I'm not saying that we, don't, we can't stand up against some of that. And from a political and society point of view... But we also should not be totally caught by surprise where our faith is shipwrecked because lawlessness is abounding in our country, your country, whatever, around the world. Okay? We're promised this. I'm not okay with that. I don't have to just accept this. But at the same point in time, I need to understand that Jesus prophesied, and many have told us, that lawlessness will abound. Okay? And, and the, because it abounds, the love of many will wax cold. See, it, the lawlessness will abound. The perilous times are coming. These last days, the devil knows his time is short. Okay? But we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We're different. We're not going to be overtaken by lawlessness. We're not going to be overtaken by all the perilous times that are coming on earth. We're not going to be taken, overtaken by the devil. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. 
and no, do not liabilities even to the death. Okay, so that's 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 the backdrop of the, the key verse that, that we've been talking about. Okay, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies. You know, there's a lot of things going on in the world in these last days, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse uh, until Jesus comes. <coughs> and I'm not preaching doom and gloom. I'm preaching we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's our message. That's where our standpoint. That's where we come from. That's our that's our victory. Okay, excuse me. So when it says in First John that whatever is born of God, and that's you and me who have received Jesus overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And I'll be elaborating a lot more on this next week, okay, when we come back. But, let me just say what I said last week, that we're not meant to be wimps. <coughs> Excuse me. We are meant to fight the fight of faith. We are meant to overcome, uh, in the end times, we are meant to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Okay? We are in victory. I just spent a whole series on how we have victory in Jesus. We are born into victory. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are fighting from a place of victory, not fighting for victory. And when we know the victory that we have in Christ, and we know how to walk that out, then we simply stand against the devil. And I spent a whole series talking about this before this series. And I, I conclude that series, which I talked about, elaborated again last week, that finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. When we know the victory that we have in Jesus, when we know how to walk that out in our relationships in so many different ways, we can stand in victory. Because, and we can put on the whole armor of God, not just part of it, but the entire armor, the helmet of our salvation, the bell of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. Our feet being shod with the gospel of peace. And on and on we can go. But we need to find the home of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. The evil day I've just been talking about. And have you got all to stand? We stand. We stand by putting on the whole armor of God. We stand because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word, no more testimony. But that's been a, a short recap of what we covered so far last week, which I don't have a lot to say in this message. It's just a very simple message. You know, basically, this verse says everything I want to say. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. And that was really the message God put in my heart to speak in, in this series, that we just need to remind who we are. And I think so much in, in the... In the Christian church, there is no other church, but the Christian church, but even the religious Christian church, because there's a lot of religion in all of us, okay? Some have more than others, okay? But we all have a little bit of religion in us, okay? Um, we have underestimated the blood of Jesus. We have glossed over it. We do not live by it. And many of us are over, being overcome by the evil that's in this world because we are on the opposite side, which we should not be. We should be overcoming by him, the devil. That's the him in the context here. Okay? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. He should, the devil should not be having a heyday with us. We should be having a heyday with him. And by the blood of the Lamb... And by the word of our testimony. Okay? And so, I want to highlight, go a little deeper than I did last week, but we're, we're going to be talking again about overcoming by the blood of the Lamb. See, when you understand this part, the last, last, last part makes sense. And so, we, we, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We need to talk about the blood. You know, I had a pastor one time who said, when you preach, preach about anything but the blood. There's nothing to preach about we can't talk about the blood. There's no gospel. There's no Christianity without the blood. You want to take up the main message of the blood. Well, people will think it's gory. They don't understand it. They don't understand it. Teach them. That's your job. Teach them. <clears throat> if people don't understand, and pastors and people in your church don't understand about the blood of Jesus, that's your fault. <clears throat> and you will stand before God about that, regarding that. 
The, the number one message you should be preaching, we should be preaching, is about the blood of Jesus. Okay? There is no Christianity without the blood of Jesus. There is no redemption. There is no salvation. We're all going to hell without the blood of Jesus. The cornerstone of everything we teach is about the blood of Jesus. We have no message. We have no church. There is no church. Because we're all uh, dead in our sins. If we can't talk about the blood of Jesus. Okay? So the blood of Jesus is crucial. It's essential. It's, it's the main message that we are, are preaching here. Now when I, every time I was thinking and praying about this passage of scripture, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. <coughs> but specifically, the blood, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Every time I, I, I read that, think about that, ponder that, and have been praying about that, this verse also keeps popping in my mind from Exodus. Now, this the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you. Destroy you when I strike his hand and reject <coughs> What are we talking about here? What's the theme? What's the backdrop? This is the Exodus. This is the first Passover. The first Passover that points to Christ. When Israel was being set free from Egypt to go to the Promised Land, the very last plague was the death of the firstborn. And the death of the firstborn was going to hit the, Egypt. It was also going to hit Goshen in, in Israel. Unless they obeyed the ordinances of the Passover. And part of that, and one of the main components of that, was the death of the lamb and the blood of the lamb being placed on their doorposts. And God said, when I see the blood, the death angel will pass over. There won't be a death of the firstborn in your home when I see the blood. Why? This all points to Christ. Christ is the firstborn of many brethren. And if Christ is the firstborn and there's already been a death in our house, the house of God, the firstborn made brethren, there won't, there won't be a death in our house. Why? Because the firstborn has already died. The evidence is the blood. The evidence is the blood. There's already been a death in the house. There's already been a death of the firstborn. Jesus was our, our testator. He was. He died so that we can live. Okay. This is all an allegory of the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. The lamb that was slain, slain before the foundation of the world. So are you following me so far? Okay. Jesus illustrated this again on the last Passover when he said, this is the blood of my covenant. Why is it the last supper? <coughs> Excuse me, some people think it's the last supper because of the last supper before Jesus went to the cross. No, that's not it. It's the last supper. It's the last Passover because the first Passover happened here. There was a Passover every year until the true Passover lamb came, that's Jesus. The, the, the last Passover wasn't the supper. The last Passover was the cross. Are you, are you understanding? Okay, the cross. It all pointed to the cross. And once Jesus went to the cross, we don't need to, to, to do a Passover anymore. As a shadow and a type of the true Passover. Okay? Because... As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And the Father said from heaven, it is done. Okay? And so we don't need another Passover. Now, we still celebrate Easter, but we celebrate what we call Easter, the resurrected king. Yes, we, we are reminded of what took place on the cross. And we might have a nativity. I mean, not, not a nativity, that's Christmas. But we would have, you know, a... Celebrating the, the, everything that took place on the cross. What we call many times Passion Week. Okay? And so, there's a place for that in remembrance. 
I mean, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record what happened to the cross. Why? So we would be remembered, reminded what took place. But Easter is so celebrating the risen Christ. Okay? And so, but the Passover, the first Passover, all pointed to the true Passover, and that was Jesus. But the, I love this phrase. The, two, there's two phrases here I love. First of all, the blood should be a sign for you. The blood of Jesus should always be a sign for us. Because that's all God's looking for. He's not looking at your performance. He's not looking at uh, your nationality. He's not looking at certain components. He's looking for one thing, the blood. You're either in Jesus or you're not. You're either born again or you're not. You either have Christ or you don't. And if he doesn't see the blood, when he comes, when Jesus comes again, <coughs> you will go to hell. You will die. When your trespasses of sin, he's looking for one thing, and one thing only, and that's the blood. Okay? He's not looking at you. He's looking at you, you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live with Christ. He either sees you in Christ or he sees you without Christ. And unless you are covered with the blood of Jesus. And God sees reality more than we do. God sees the reality of this blood more than you and I do. And his opinion is the only opinion that really matters. But he does want us to receive the blood of Jesus. More importantly, he wants us to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Okay. So he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over and the plague shall not overtake you. Okay, so anyway. Um, see, when mankind sinned, do you remember mankind, Adam, Eve, Adam? Before the fall, there was no sin. But finally, Adam, who represents mankind, sinned. And from the moment that Adam sinned, man, <coughs> excuse me, had a conscience. Had a sin conscience. See, before the fall, Adam never had a sin conscious. There was no sin. There was no shame. There was no fear. There was no guilt. There was no condemnation. But when Adam partook of the forbidden tree, the knowledge of good and evil, <coughs> excuse me, for the first time he had an awareness that he was naked. For the first time, he had awareness that he was of feelings of fear, guilt, shame, and condemnation. Excuse me. Feelings that he'd never had before. But all of a sudden, he had these feelings. See, when you say this word conscious out in the Greek and the, even the dictionary, it means a sense of right and wrong. Well, where did that sense of right and wrong come from? The knowledge of good and evil. Okay? See, fear and shame are the results of spiritual death. Adam lived. But God said, of the moment you take of that fruit, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. He didn't die physically. But he died spiritually. He became separated, alienated from the life of God. You and I, until we received Jesus, were dead in our sins of trespasses. We were alienated from the life of God. We were spiritually dead. And when we received Jesus, we become born again, spiritually speaking. Okay, shame, fear, and insecurities of any kind is a 
the result of spiritual death, separation from God. Okay, and separation from God <coughs> because of Adam's sin was now a problem, and he became conscious of sin. It's all the results of the physical results of the death separation he had because of his sin. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. But even but so Adam who had no conscience of sin, no fear, no shame, no even revelation that he was naked. There was no shame And it goes deeper than that, but I just want to go there now. Okay. Because Adam did what he did, man was dead. Adam was dead spiritually. Alienated from the life of God. And mankind has been dead from Adam until Jesus. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. See. of redemption. The purpose of redemption through the blood of Jesus was to restore mankind to the state of fellowship that existed before the fall. Adam's, Adam was in a perfect relationship with God. He sinned. He lost that relationship. He was ousted from the garden. But Jesus Restored it back as if the fall never took place. The blood of Jesus made that possible. The purpose of redemption was to restore mankind to the state of fellowship that exists before. The purpose of redemption is not going to heaven and born again. Yes, we will go to heaven, those who are born again, and that's awesome. I'm not trying to water that down. Okay? And yes, if we don't receive Jesus, we will go to hell. There is a hell. But that's not the purpose. That's the benefit. The purpose of redemption is to restore us into a right relationship with called, called righteousness. That's the purpose. The benefit is avoiding hell and going to heaven. But the best thing about heaven is that we get to be in face-to-face -face relationship with God. Okay, that's the purpose. we got to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's not the water down the benefit. That's to exalt and magnify the purpose of relationship with God. Okay, Jesus shed his blood to make everything that was wrong right. Adam made everything wrong. Adam did a horrible thing. He brought sin into existence. He brought death into existence. That didn't happen before the fall. <coughs> Adam, through his sin, made everything wrong. But Jesus, through his blood, made everything right. Are you following me? So Jesus shed his blood to make everything right. So that we could have a good conscience towards God. See, Adam had a good conscience towards God. But through the fall, for the first time, had a bad conscience, an evil conscience, with fear and shame. But Jesus came to restore us into the right relationship with God so that we could forevermore have a good conscience. It says in Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself <coughs> excuse me, without spot to God, to cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The, the blood of bulls and goats could not. But the blood of Jesus not only cleansed your sin, but it also cleansed your conscience. What's a conscience? A sense of right and wrong. 
Now Adam, because of his sin, had fear, shame, guilt, condemnation. All results of a dead relationship with God. Jesus came to restore that. So we have a clean, clear conscience. It says in Isaiah 118, I'm going to read from the NIV, it says, Come now, let us reason, settle the matter. This is God talking. It says, says the Lord, through your sins, though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This is a messianic prophecy. This is before the cross. How much more is it now that the cross has taken place because of the blood of Jesus? Jesus, although our sins were as red as scarlet, they are as white as snow. They are as white as wool. Okay? If you're born again, Jesus purged you from all your sins. But he also purged you from a sin conscience. Okay? And because he purged your sins and he purged your conscience, remembrance of them. There's no peeking. You don't need to go peeking at what you were. You're not that anymore. Church, one drop of the blood of Jesus is more powerful than all the sins of the world put together. One drop of the blood of Jesus is more powerful than all of the sins of the world put together. I know what you've done is wrong. I know what so-and-so did was wrong. But the blood of Jesus is greater. I'm not minimizing sin. I'm magnifying the blood of Jesus. I'm exalting the blood of Jesus. I'm not minimizing sin. Sin is stupid. Sin is horrible. Sin will take you further than you want to go. or cost you more than you want to spend. Sin will kill you. Destroy you. But the blood of Jesus is greater. Never underestimate the power of the blood of Jesus. Nothing compares to this power. Nothing compares to the power. No, there's no sin. There's no sins in all the sins of the world put together. There's not even the, the, the most wicked sin that you really just gets under your religious skin. That the blood of Jesus can not redeem you from. I'm not here to minimize sin. I'm here to exalt the blood of Jesus. And because of the blood of Jesus, God can say through words like Jeremiah, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says God, your Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you unexpected end. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It matters what God, your Lord, thinks towards you. Okay? And when we get this concept right, and we get everything aligned perfectly as we should, spiritually speaking, the mind of the flesh is death. But the mind of the spirit is life and peace. To be naturally, <coughs> to be naturally a carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to think as God thinks. About me, about you, about sin, and about the blood of Jesus. About redemption. Okay. So, remember the fall? After Adam and Eve had partaken of the, the wrong tree, the wrong fruit, and they were walking in the garden, they heard God walking in the garden, they were hiding. And his, God asked them, Why were you hiding? We've never done this before. 
And Adam said, because we were naked. And then God asked them a question. Who told you you were naked? See, nakedness, although it was true, wasn't even a concept. Who told you you were naked? And that was the result of the fall. That was the result of sin. That was the result of a sin consciousness because of sin. That was the result of spiritual death. That they had, some, for the first time, a realization that they were naked. And that was because of sin. Sin, the knowledge of good and evil, gave them a revelation. They didn't, a knowledge that they didn't need to have, that they were naked. That was before the cross, after the fall, but before the cross. But now that Jesus has come, now that Jesus has purged our sins, now that Jesus has cleansed our conscience, let me ask you that same question. Who told you you're naked? <coughs> I'm not talking physically. If you're naked physically, go get some clothes. But spiritually speaking, if you receive Jesus, who told you you're naked? Because if you receive Jesus, you are not naked. You listen to a lie. The Father lies. Who told you you're naked? See, many people in the church, many people who are redeemed, are acting like they're naked when they're not. <clears throat> I want to sink in for a moment because like Joe we put on righteousness and are clothed in it we're clothed in righteousness as David said in Psalms let your priest be clothed with righteousness <coughs> excuse me it says in the book of Revelation, from the prophecy of John, that the bride of Christ is arrayed with fine linen. Still with me? I rebuke this cough, but I'm going to keep preaching. We're clothed with righteousness. If you receive Jesus, you are not naked spiritually. You are clothed with the righteousness of God. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. I am the righteousness of God. I am clothed with this righteousness. I've done some stupid stuff. I've made some stupid decisions. But I have been born again. I have received Jesus. And as, as even though... And he says, according to Isaiah 61, verse 7, instead of shame, he'd give me double honor. I was naked. I was without Christ. I was dead. But now I'm alive and I'm clothed with his righteousness. That's my breastplate. I got the helmet of salvation, the bell of truth, the shield of faith. I'm overcome by the blood of the landlord of that. I'm the righteous of God. In him. Again, we're going to see the blood. We need to see the blood. We're clothed with his righteousness. We're, Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. Ladies, you can call yourself sisters if you, if you feel like you need to. Okay? See, we, church, we need to stand on the efficacy of the powerful, redemptive blood of Jesus. I want to say that again. We need to stand on the efficacy of the powerful, redemptive blood of Jesus. That is how we stand with the full armor of because there's been already been a death in the house. And it's a sign to us that God 
the death angel will pass this house because God has seen the blood. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? If you received Jesus, who said that you're still naked? Church, and this has become more and more a pet peeve of mine, spiritually speaking, as a pastor, as a even just forget pastor for a moment, just a believer. Many of us are acting and teaching and testifying as if Jesus was not enough. I'm sorry, that goes against my testimony. Because my testimony is that the blood of Jesus was enough. But many of us are acting, teaching, preaching, condemning, and I can keep going, as if the blood of Jesus is not enough. And when that comes across in many ways, shapes, and forms, I hate that. It stirs me up, and there's a righteous anger that stirs up. May we never act and live and preach and teach and testify as if the blood of Jesus is not enough. Would God send Jesus to bear our sins, to become sin itself, and then to judge Jesus without any mercy for our sins? If his sacrifice wasn't enough. I want to say that again. Would God send Jesus to bear our sins? To become sin itself? To judge Jesus without any mercy for our sins? If the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. Yet many people act, teach, and testify as if it wasn't enough. We need to let the word of God, we need to let the blood of Jesus get in the way of our theology. See, If you're born again, but you're still conscious of sins, you truly don't understand the blood of Jesus. If you're born again, but you're still conscious of sins, you don't understand the grace of God. You don't understand the mercy of God. If you're born again, and you're still conscious of sins, you don't even understand what salvation is. And I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm saying this to, in a sense, shake the truth. Because everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but that which cannot be shaken will remain. I'm trying to preach the gospel here. Okay. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Our word is reconciliation. God was in Christ, and he's not imputing the, tra- the trespasses of the world to the world. And that just rubs some of our religious skin wrong. Most of us gloss over this because we don't understand it, that God was not imputing. What does the word impute mean? If you have a bank account and say a credit card, and I don't know if this is relevant to those of you who are in different countries, but you have a credit card, every time you use that credit card, a charge is imputed to your account. When you make a payment, that payment is imputed to your account. At the end of the day, you want to have no debt. Okay? If you have debt, the bank is going to make you pay money. Until you pay up. And they're going to easily charge you interest. 
that every time you make a transaction on that credit card, a charge is imputed to your account. Well, we have a biblical, we have a spiritual account. And every time we sin without Christ, that sin is imputed to our account. <coughs> but praise God, Jesus came and he paid the bill. He overpaid the bill. Let's say you own you owed a hundred dollars. God paid a million dollars for your debt. He overpaid the bill. He didn't just pay for your sins, he paid for your sins that you're still going to commit. And that runs people wrong. How can you say that God will forgive my future sins? Well, you better hope he can he forgives your future sins, because all of your sins were future sins when Jesus Jesus died once, and he's not dying again. All of your sins were future tense. There's not one sin that you've ever committed that was not in the future based on the cross. God's not imputing sins to you. See, it runs us wrong. See, we live by performance in a natural way. We parent. We reward our kids based on doing good behavior, and we punish them when they do bad. That's how we, we work. Our employer, our boss, rewards us when we do good, gets us a paycheck for the hours that we work, <coughs> the work that we performed, and we get fired or disciplined when we don't perform. Our educational system's that way. You pass the class, you graduate. You don't, you take it again. Or you you do bad behavior, you're expelled. You know, we hire people to do work for us as contractors and, and different things. Employees, employers, based on performance. Everything we do is based on performance. But this relationship. See, it says in Hebrews 9, but Christ became a high priest for the good things to come. Excuse me. With a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for having obtained eternal redemption. That's another term right there at the end. I know it's cut off there at the bottom of the screen. But I want to highlight right now, first of all, the blood of Jesus covered your sins once for all. Jesus, did, Jesus is not going back and dying again and again and again. He did it once. He did it for all. He did it for all people. And he did it for all sins. Is everybody saved? No. Because many people rejected what he did. He did it for them, but they rejected it. God doesn't force his redemption on you. It's eternal. It's not natural. There's nothing natural you can do to, to reject God's redemption. There's a spiritual thing you can do and you can say, I don't want Jesus. I don't receive him. And you can reject his propitiation for your sins. What does propitiation mean? He was a sacrifice. He was a substitute for you. And your redemption is eternal. I can't take it away from you. You can't take it away. You can reject it or you can accept it. Okay? But was Jesus enough or not? Some of you think, well, this is great, Pastor Dave, but that's not enough. And then you just proved everything I've been trying to so far. That you're saying the blood of Jesus was not enough. That somehow you need to, you need to do something to, that something you do is greater than the blood of Jesus. That's the spirit of man. It goes on to say in verse 13, For with the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, 
An animal could purify in the Old Testament, but the blood of a goat could purify something in the Old Testament. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to what? Cleanse your conscience. And dead works and serves the living God. Jesus paid for all sins of all time. He's not judging them. Why? Because God judged all of sins in Jesus. Jesus became all sins of all time. Every sin you've committed, have committed, will commit, are committing, he judged, he became it. And God judged that sin without mercy. See, it's not our sins that are condemning us. It's our own conscience that condemns us. It's not God. He's not even imputing sins to your account. He imputed all of them to Jesus' account. He's not giving you what you deserve. He's giving you what Jesus deserves. And we need to purge our conscience with the truth of what the Jesus, the blood of Jesus has done. We need to put our faith and confidence in the blood of Jesus and his blood. He goes on to say verse 25, and for this reason he is the he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. I, oh, I, I, sorry, I didn't finish reading the back passage. Verse 15. And for this reason Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. By means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So not only do we have an eternal, eternal redemption, we also have an eternal, eternal inheritance. There's been a change. We had a first covenant called the old covenant, but we now have a new covenant because of Jesus being the mediator of that covenant. Okay, and in verse 20, verse 25. Now that he should offer sins often, Jesus didn't offer sins often. As a high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, another animal, not even another person. Okay, so the, the, in the old, old covenant, the high priest had to do this every year. A blood of another, not even his own blood or a blood of another person. Jesus doesn't come in often, but he then would have, have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. See, the old covenant... And the new covenant doesn't work like the old covenant. The old covenant and the high priest had to come in often. But Jesus doesn't come in often. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We, if you study Hebrews 7, 8, 9, <coughs> and 10, you'll see that we have a new priest. We have a new covenant. We have a new that's established on better promises. We have a new high priest. And unlike the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, where the priest had to go in often every year to make atonement, Jesus doesn't come often, suffer often. Otherwise, he would always go out and suffer. But he did it once. To put away sin by the sacrifice. He put sin away. He cut it off. He dealt with it. Okay? The price for sin has been paid. He goes on to say, and as it is appointed for the man to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin. Why? He doesn't need to deal with sin again. He already dealt with it. He's coming for salvation. He came for the first time to deal with sin, and he, he did that once, and he bare the sins of many. Now, he's going to come again, but he's going to come for salvation. Okay. See, the price has been paid. We have an eternal redemption. And we also have an eternal, eternal, excuse me, inheritance in Jesus. And because we 
have this eternal redemption and eternal inheritance. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. Church, we need to see ourselves the way God sees us, not the way religion sees us. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. We need to see ourselves born again of the incorruptible seed of Christ. That seed is incorruptible. Okay, we need to see ourselves born of that seed. We need to see ourselves that we, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And when we see ourselves the way God sees us, we are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Okay. See, again, in Hebrews 10, 10, but that, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once and Goes on to say, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, this Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down. Why? Because the job's done at the right hand of God. He goes on to say, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. See, even going back here, real quick. Now, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over. Even in the first Passover, Old Testament, that is an allegory of the new the, the final Passover. The true Passover. See, even here, in the Old Covenant, Israel was not delivered because they were Israelites. They weren't saved because they were Israelites. They weren't saved because of great good behavior. They were saved because of one thing and one thing only. One thing saved them. They were saved by the blood of the Lamb. That pointed to the true Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. This Lamb that John the Baptist speaks of, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <coughs> this Lamb of God that Paul writes and says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. This lamb that Peter says, remember <coughs> that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The same lamb that Paul echoes in Colossians, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Our salvation, our redemption, is based on one thing and one thing alone, and that is the blood of Jesus. Not anything else. Everything else is either a byproduct or a substitute for Christ. We're trying to earn something that we can't earn. And we're, 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 we're because the word Christo means instead of or against Christ, so we're trying to re do something instead of receiving Jesus. That's Antichrist, that's religion. Or we're supposed to live holy because we are holy. It's a byproduct. It's called the fruit of holiness. It's called the fruit of righteousness. It's fruit. It's not the root. Okay? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? You can't have the egg without the chicken. Okay? 
Anyway, I'll stop there. Some of you are stuck on that. Okay. So this brings up an important question, really, in the end, because the just lives by faith. Anything that's not of faith is what? Sin. So what are you trusting? What are you testifying? Remember our key verse, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. We're going to go here next week and talk more about this testimony. Talk some of it about, about it last week, and we'll we'll go into this a lot of that again a lot deeper next week. But we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, so what are you, what are you trusting in? What are you testifying of? Are you testifying of the blood of Jesus? Are you testifying? Are you testifying of the blood? Are you trusting that? Are you trusting that you're Israel? Are you trusting that you, your performance? Okay? Stop disqualifying yourselves and rest in his blood. Stop saying, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. It's not based on what you deserve. It's based on the blood of the Lamb. Okay? See, God only sees the blood. That's the only thing he sees. Either you have blood or you don't have blood. Either you are in Christ or you're not in Christ. But if you're in Christ, he made you accepted in the blood. It's a done deal. He made you. It's done. If you're in Christ, he had already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places. In Christ. I need to spend some more time here. If I don't get a chance next week, I will add one more lesson. But in the same manner that he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do. We need to be reminded of the covenant of his blood. It's not just going through communion, the ordinance of communion, as obedience. It's doing it out of remembrance. That we need to remind, be reminded, like David did with Goliath, that we have a covenant relationship with God based on the blood of Jesus. And he goes on to, and in context, he says, when a man examines himself, and a lot of people take this passage of scripture and do what Paul says about examining themselves, and we're still examining sin. Why are you examining sin if the blood of Jesus didn't cover it? We're supposed to remember what the blood of Jesus did. He, he purged your sins. So if you're examining yourself and you still see sin, then you're not remembering Christ. And you, you will die in your sins. We need to examine ourselves in context of remembering his blood that we are the righteousness of God in him. We're not the righteousness of God outside of him. In despite of him, but we are the righteous God in him. See, it says in Hebrews 12 that to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, speaks better things without evil. <coughs> Where do we get this passage that speaks better things without evil? Well, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. And the first murder, the first man who ever stepped foot into heaven was Abel. Can you imagine Abel? He was the first one. First one to, to uh, be in God's presence. Okay, but anyway, that's another story. Okay. All right, I'll some of you. But he said, what have you done? God speaking to Cain. The voice of your brother's blood cried out to me. For what, what's his blood crying out for? Vengeance. Why his brother just murdered him? Voice speak, blood speaks. Blood has a voice. Scientists have said that your blood has a song. They've, they've, they've done this. They've been able to test this. That there's a voice in blood. And that's pretty awesome. 
But the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. What does it speak? What does it say? Well, if every result is that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of what we testify. And we our testimony is all based on what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. See, the blood of Jesus cries out of redemption. That's what it says. It cries out redemption. For you were redeemed by the cross. But with the blood of Jesus. <coughs> so the blood of Jesus cries out redemption. But the blood of Jesus also cries out justification. We've been justified by his blood. And the blood of Jesus also cries out victory. We overcome. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever the devil's throwing at you because his time is short, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. When I see the blood, no matter what is coming, it's not coming. simple message. I could go to a lot deeper in some ways, but I'm just sharing what God's put in my heart to share. Folks, we need to come back to the revelation of the blood of Jesus. In these last days, we need to be reminded that we overcome, not because of this or that, we overcome because of one thing, the blood of the Lamb. Which, a byproduct of that is that we have something to say. And when both these are true, we love our life magnitude to the death. But it's all about the blood. It's all about the blood. Am I making sense this morning? I'm not, I'm not minimizing sin. I'm, maxim I'm magnifying Jesus. You got sin in your life? You got addictions? You got strongholds? The blood of Jesus is enough to set you free. To set you free. To set you free from your flesh, lusting for things that you don't need to be lusting for. How do you get set free from lust? The blood of Jesus. How do you get set free from sin? The blood of Jesus. How do you get set free from some of the symptoms of sin and like sickness and lack and different things? The blood of Jesus. And when you understand the blood of Jesus, you will have something to testify. And when you start testifying, you start seeing things happen, you don't care what happens to you. You don't love your lives even to the death. Why? Because even if you die, you're going to be with Jesus face to face. Like you get to go join that good old Abel. Am I making sense? What we're talking about this morning, and we're talking about this series, overcoming by the blood of Jesus. Next week, we're going to come back and we'll spend more time about this testimony. We have something to testify. But we overcome by the blood of Jesus. I can never get tired of saying that. And I, but I am sick and tired of hearing people, especially in the church, who act and teach and testify as if the blood of Jesus accomplished nothing. That's ludicrous. That's the spirit of Antichrist. And that type of belief and teaching is an enemy of the cross. And so, anyway, I say that with love. But my testimony is that the blood of Jesus is enough. One drop of his blood is stronger than any sin you've ever committed. And it's his blood that will set you free from that sin. Some people think, well, Dave, are you just saying it's okay to sin? No. Absolutely not. Sin is stupid. Sin won't give an end rather than the devil. See, 
Paul preached the gospel in such a way that that same question came up three times. Three times Paul was asked, so are you saying we can live any way we want to? No. The answer was always no to that question. But the fact was that Paul preached the gospel in such a way that that question kept coming up. So if you're preaching the gospel and that question doesn't come up, you're not preaching the gospel the way Paul does. Paul was not preaching it's okay to live any way you want to. I'm not preaching you can live any way you want to. But if that question doesn't come up in the way that you preach the gospel, you're not preaching the way, gospel the way Paul preached it. That makes sense? So if you should preach the gospel in such a way that that question is going to come up, the answer to that question is always no. But you should preach the gospel in such a way that that question will automatically come up all the time. And people, come, bring, people bring that question to me all the time. So you're saying you can live any way you want to? Thank you for affirming that I just preached the gospel the way Paul did. My answer is no, and it all will always be no. But you just affirmed that I preached the gospel the way Paul did because you asked the same question that, that people asked Paul more than once. So when you preach the gospel such a way, people are going to think that you can, you can live any way you want to. The answer that I know. That question should be coming up. <coughs> if it doesn't come up, then we have not preached the gospel for us. That makes sense. Amen, amen, amen. Well, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. God bless.